Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Gear QA number 47. And before we get started, uh, we always like to take a second to uh, say hello to the friends that make this happen. As you can see right here, this is the new uh, knowyourgear.net uh, web page. Uh, and on there, there's a, a page devoted to all of the people, as you can see in this long list, that are patrons that support uh, what we do here. Uh, and along with all the other viewers like you and people who buy the shirts, and let's just go down the list of the uh, the original 10 crew, which is Bradulus, Jeff Howes, Zachary Rowe, Michael Newman, Bruce Garris, We Back Tracks, John Jex, Michael Shy, Justin Maybe, David Madison, Lawrence Petros, uh, or sorry, I should say Lawrence Petros uh, from LPD Pedals. Everybody kind of knows his pedals. And uh, then the new, the new group, uh, which is the group, is uh, Bob Pickwood, uh, Tim, just Tim, <laughs> John uh, Levitt, uh, Space Jazz, uh, Alvaro, and Luis from, uh, from uh, Pedal Pal Effects. Uh, very cool guys and very cool pedals. Uh, Ricky Robinson, and, uh, or sorry, Ricky Robinson, Gary Marshall, Chuck Keen, Chris Glaze, and Dylan87. And more importantly, as I go back over here, hey guys, is uh, more importantly, I want to thank everyone of you guys that uh, hung out with me on the first. On the first of the month, we have a patron hangout, and um, it's not uh, videotaped or anything, unfortunately. Um, it's really just a, a thing for us to hang out. And the reason I want to thank everyone is because uh, of those people I mentioned that hung out with me, we did it uh, for like eight hours. <laughs> So, uh, so uh, I'm sure some of you guys got tired and kicked out, but most of you guys made it. So, like I said, I think we went from from two until like ten o'clock at night, hanging out, which was always fun uh, talking gear. So, I want to thank everybody for that. Okay, so now that we're all situated here, give me a second to uh, to get to the screen that has you guys. Here you are. Now I'm looking at you. How's it going? Yeah, Mike, a new one. Eight hours. It was eight hours. Um, it blew by fast, though. You know, it's uh, it's fun when you're talking gear, getting everybody's opinions. I, I, I don't know if you guys know, but like I said, that patron hangout thing, it's uh, it's not a, uh, it's not like this where it's it, it's all it's it's an actual live feed hangout. So it's easy to to just talk away when everybody wants to talk about the same thing, which is gear and guitars and music. So all right. Uh, let's see what's going on. Anyone got any great questions? How's the week? Anything exciting happened this week? Um, my week has been hectic. I feel like I'm not getting anything done this week. It's that, that kind of week. Uh, everybody has that week. Sometimes that week's every week, but for me, it's really this week. Uh, yep. Uh, so first we'll hit the first question. Here it is. It's V music channel page says Gibson's a no show at NAM. Yeah. I saw the rumblings. I watched Pixie looks talk about it. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about this. I will give you my insight if that will help. Uh, this is probably, uh, based on a couple things. First of all, it could be a sign that the NAM is becoming irrelevant to guitar companies. Keeping in mind that the NAM is growing each year in the DJ PA side, but the guitar side is shrinking. Um, is it a sign that the NAM is uh, kind of getting outdated and Gibson decides to do uh, more social media? It is very possible. Uh, I would say there's a percentage of that that is true. Is it true that Gibson has financial troubles and they've decided to opt out of the NAM? That could be true. Although what we don't know is by opting out of the NAM, did they did they get their money back? Did they not have to pay? Um, are they paying a certain percentage of it? But I will tell you what I do know. Those are all speculations, and I think those are great speculations. But here's what I do know, and this is uh, something that I think might give some insight. For the longest time, for many years, over 10 years that I'm aware of, even though Gibson went to NAM, no one was allowed into the booth unless they were a dealer on appointment, except for the last hour of the show every day. So in other words, you would go to the NAM show. It'd be very excited. You know, you, let's say you got invited by a store or a vendor or something. And you got in the NAM, or let's say you were a dealer and you were there and you were there to check out Gibson guitars because, you know, you're a new store and you'd like to check them out. You would go to the booth and there would be a bouncer there telling you to get lost. Uh, in my experience, it was pretty much that way. It wasn't even like a nice way. It was just like, hey, what do you, you know, they always looked at you. Uh, I can tell you my personal experience. The first time I went there, they made me feel like I was too dumb to understand that you don't even think about going to the Gibson booth unless you are a dealer and have an appointment. So they wouldn't let you in. So except for they opened the last hour of every day and you would see a line. And the first time I ever waited in line to go in, 
I remember walking around going, this looks like a guitar center. This is all the same Gibsons that are guitar center. So now let's fast forward. I was a Gibson dealer for a period of time. And I remember the time I was supposed to go, believe it or not, I got sick and I was so sick the day before my meeting, I went to the uh, Gibson uh, booth to tell my rep that I can't make the meeting tomorrow. I'm going home a day early. I have the flu. Uh, it happens when you're at the NAMM show, you get sick. And the receptionist said that she can't let me in to see him. I said, well, he's right there. I can see him right there. She's like, you're going to have to call him. I go, well, why don't you just tell him he's right there? And she's like, well, I'm not a message booth. And that's when I was a dealer. So that's the kind of treatment you got then. Now, what happened immediately after that was the recession and the recession kind of changed things. So in the last few years, anyone could walk into the Gibson booth like normal again. They opened it up to the rest of the the, 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 the place. But what I want to point out is that one of the reasons Gibson might have opted out is they really only have to meet with their dealers. And at this point, do they have to? Do they have to meet with their dealers there? I mean, can't the dealers just be told what the what the new program is, be shown virtual, you know, uh, videos of the guitars? And I mean, is it really dealers really putting hands on guitars? Let's be honest. The big chains, uh, the big guys, they're not probably touching the product. To them, they already know statistically what sells. So, so my whole insight on this Gibson not going in the M thing is really based on a couple things. I don't really see why they should even be there. If it's a press thing, well, they can get that press other ways. If it's a, a business thing for writing deals, well, their dealers, I mean, really, let's be honest, the dealers that are Gibson dealers are pretty locked in and they're probably going to be dealers anyways. The real question is this, and this is what we need to kind of ask ourselves or figure out just for the curiosity sake. Is it they're not going to NAM at all, or is there a because companies do this by the way? Companies that decide not to go to NAM do get hotels or places by NAM and do meet up with the dealers. So I'm curious to see if Gibson has an outside spot outside of NAM where they're meeting just with their dealers, just to write some deals. So that I'm curious about because especially the overseas. So you know who the guy would probably be able to ask is Lee Anderton. If he's going to the NAM show, it'd be curious to see if he's got an appointment to meet with the uh, Gibson guys. Cause usually that's the people they want to meet is the overseas people, people that they can't get a, uh, just drive down in, in, in the U S and meet. So we'll see. All right. Ian has a question. It says, have you tried the GFX extreme tremolo? Uh, I put one on my Epiphone EBSG, uh, and my bandmates are tired of all the whammy. <laughs> I have. I've seen them. Um, they're very cool uh, things. Um, let's do this real quick. GFX Tremolo. Let's show everybody what we're talking about. Uh, maybe. Let's try this real fast. Because um, I believe... Hold on one second. All right, what do we got here? Yeah, we got a cool picture. Let's go to images, uh, find a picture. This is probably not the exact one you have, but it will work for what we're doing. And uh, here we go. Here, here you go, everybody. This is it right here. So you can see it's kind of like a Bigsby kind of thing, right? Is that what you're talking about? Something like this. Uh, it looks like there's different ones for different versions of guitars very cool um i've seen them but only like we're seeing them right now in picture form i haven't seen them in a uh in a, in a live i haven't installed one or anything it's not something i've seen but it's good to know it's good to see the feedback is good on the on the on a piece of equipment there's always a new tremolo <laughs> it seems like it seems like everybody's always trying to improve the tremolo so uh good on them for for getting out there and offering something new and exciting Let's see. Next question that we have. Ah, thoughts on the new Tube Screamer. Okay, so if you guys haven't seen, there's a new Tube Screamer, and it's got what's called new tube in it. I think that's right. Uh, let's let's see if I'm gonna have to get faster at typing. Came right up. Gotta love that. All right, let's take a look at this sucker. Uh, so here's the deal. If you guys haven't seen, Vox has used this technology. More and more companies are using this technology. Uh, this is it. Let's go to one right there. This is it. It's a tube screamer, but it has the technology called New Tube. New being in you, not in E W. New Tube is a uh, a type of technology that is a tube, but not a tube. Uh, I believe I read on it. I read up as much as I could on it. Um, 
And I have some friends that are in the know that I trust when it comes to new technology. Um, really, to be honest with you, this is a thing where I'm curious to put my ears on it. The idea seems good, but you know, my, my experience is, and you might have the same experience too, is that even tube amps aren't the same. So just cause saying it, there's tubes in an amp, I sometimes wouldn't call, um, a tube amp, a tube amp. Uh, let me give you an example. So I don't leave you hanging, uh, of an amp. Um, you know what, actually, this is not my personal take, but a lot of people will say this, the hot rod deluxe, one of my favorite uh, tube amps out there. A lot of people don't like it cause they say it's not very tube, uh, sounding to them. Uh, it has a kind of a solid state vibe to it. And uh, it does have some solid state in it. It does have some tube in it. That's a discussion for another time. But the point is, is that not just because sticking a tube in something doesn't always give it the tube essence and feel. But I'm curious to see if it's a gimmick or if it's a real deal. And um, this is definitely a pedal I'll probably buy just for the curiosity's sake. However, here, you might enjoy this, maybe. Uh, this pedal inspired me to buy this. So I did buy this. Uh, I picked it up for a hundred bucks. Um, let's see. Uh, let's, oh, you know what? Let me go here. Sorry, guys. Keep you guys hanging. That's how, that's how we do it. I'm actually going to go to, to, to the actual one I bought. I just bought it. Here it is. All right, here we go. Let's uh, screenshot you on this. Uh, so when I was reading up on the new tube technology and getting excited about it, it made me think of this. So um, let's see if I can make this big. I can. I bought myself a used Seymour Duncan twin tube. Does anyone remember these pedals? There was a blues edition. There's a Mayhem, which is a metal one, and this guy. And it uses actual tubes in it, but not 12AX7s. They're actually small tubes that were used for radios in airplanes in like World War II or something like that. Anyone's more uh, versed in this, please. Uh, I haven't done the research yet. Just go ahead and put that in the, in the, the comments below. Uh, but it has, this is a tube technology pedal. And I remember the pedal sounding pretty good. Um, and uh, and so I'm really curious, but what, was what made me laugh, and here's what made me laugh, and this is and then we'll get back on subject. What made me laugh was sometimes when a new technology comes out, I see this all the time, like a MOSFET technology or something. Anytime you see a technology come out, in other words, new, it doesn't take much looking to figure out that that in most cases, that technology had been out before. So when I saw the whole thing about new tube and it's new and exciting, I thought, you know, there's some tubes that have used stuff like this in the past, this kind of idea. Um, not necessarily in the new, the new tubes, are definitely a different concept, but in the idea of using different type of tube technology. So that pedal was a hundred bucks is I think what I paid. Actually, let's look at that. I paid, uh, they were asking $105 and fit. So 120 bucks was shipping. I think I offered them 105 total or something total or something like that. And they took that. So for hundred bucks, it was worth, uh, was worth checking out. And, uh, and then I'll be able to compare that against the new tube. So we'll see how that goes. So again, uh, anyone like that out there, you know, when you, when you ever see the new thing, you think maybe I should try the, try something old. Okay. Uh, next we have cheddar Kung Pao. Uh, <laughs> five dollars for the half a slice of pizza at nam fund um you know what cheddar that's i really i appreciate that i'm actually going to keep putting that towards that chapman guitar fund i was looking at the chapman guitars uh, today I, as you guys we talked about this i'm buying an indonesian chapman guitar to, to review and um i'm not telling you which one i'm interested in but i will tell you the one i'm interested in is constantly out of stock and i think it's because it's never been in stock yet so i might have to give up and move on to the next model uh and uh, Indrid Cold wants to know my thoughts on the self-esteem booster. Um, I'm going to review it. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The problem I'm having with the self-esteem booster review is I have a Buxom Boost review and I have a, uh, a, a Jack Boost re <laughs> to review. I have a couple of Boost pedals to review. And uh, the trick is uh, the Buxom Boost was sent to me by Friedman. They sent that to me. So I don't feel like it would be fair to them to take this pedal they sent to me because uh, I didn't ask for that pedal. They just sent it to me. Uh, I, I, I told them I wanted to check out the Dirtly Shirley. They were kind enough to give me one, uh, which is great because I really, really love that pedal. I was They actually caught me perfectly. I was 
I literally had it in my cart at Reverb and they reached out and said, hey, we'd like to send you one. I'm like, well, that'd be great because I was about to buy one. Um, and the Bucks and Boost wasn't something on my radar, so they sent it to me. So long story short, I, I got to do the Bucks and Boost uh, by itself. And then I want to do the Bucks and Boost with the self-esteem and all of them comparison boost pedals together. So to, to be fair. Uh, Chris uh, uh, did the, the super chat. Thank you, Chris. Says, uh, the guitar all just replaces the little tubes in the pedal. Wait, the guitar all just replaces the little tubes in that pedal in the, one of his videos. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have to check that out. So I haven't watched his channel too much. I keep getting his um, more uh, extreme titled videos. And a lot of times on those, I think he's just trying to get you know, excitement going to his channel. So sometimes when I see that stuff, I don't know what to think of what I'm watching yet. So I've heard that he does really cool, like repair type stuff. So I need to look at that instead of the other stuff. Okay. Um, all right. Next question. Uh, Don patrol. one says American manufacturer is no longer a good thing. In my opinion is what they're saying. And I, obviously I'm an American and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm prior service. Uh, so obviously I have some pride in, in my country, but, uh, and there's no way. So then what I'm saying, there's no way for me to be unbiased on the statement I'm going to make, but here's what I will tell you from my experience. And it has nothing to do with bias or it does. And there's nothing I can do about that. Every piece of gear that I own that's American made is good. Very rarely do you come across American product that isn't good. Um, Americans do one thing well, believe it or not, uh, uh, when it comes to building stuff. And this is my experience with the gear. We have an, a really good ability to quality assurance things. And some of you are probably agreeing right now, and some of you guys are shaking your head and, and unsubscribing. But <laughs> it's just an opinion, guys. It's, 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 you can have your own too. It's okay. Um, but my point in this is, uh, the reason I say that is when you visit factories, you can see it. There's something in the uh, uh, American culture that somehow is... Like the consumer, we know the consumer is aggressive. I guess that's a better way. Maybe that's what it is. The consumers here are demanding. Uh, and I can tell you this from experience, dealing with tons of companies overseas, whether that's Chinese companies that I personally deal with, uh, uh, European uh, companies, German companies, which I know is in Europe, but just to give you specifics, um, and in uh, any other uh, uh, companies that I've dealt with, they have trouble with American consumers because we're a really bitchy group of people, right? I know I don't really kind of talk like that, but I just want to get the point across. Uh, the American consumer really expects a whole lot for a whole little. It's just something. That's why a lot of uh, the European uh, people who watch this channel constantly comment that we get kind of a lot for what we pay and we kind of seem a little spoiled and we are. And so American companies kind of realize that. I think uh, that's what I've noticed with some of the other companies. They seem frustrated. A perfect example of that is this, and this is just something to point out. I was a dealer for Victory Amps, and although I liked the guys at Victory, I had trouble selling their amps because I don't think they really understood the American consumer. My consumers, the the, the customers, were really upset, upset with the quality issues they would come across, and that company didn't know how to handle American consumers when it comes to that. And I've seen that over and over again. Um, so whatever that's worth. Okay. So the next one is a super chat from Jack and he's, uh, he says, uh, Hey, I play lead guitar and I'm hoping to upgrade to an SG from my current Asian made strat. Should I get a special or save up for the standard? Also, should I buy local or online? Okay. So Jack, uh, that's a two part question. We'll hit it both, both ways. Cause it's a good question. So, um, knowing that you want an SG, uh, this is the easy part when it comes uh, special or standard. I really think it doesn't it, do, it doesn't really matter. Okay, that's not going. It's going to matter. The problem is is that because you're already asking the question, should you get a special or standard, it, and you're on the fence, I really suggest you try it before you buy it. So it, buying local is ideal because you're supporting a local business. That's always a good thing, and you get to put your hands on the guitar and fall in love with them. But what I will tell you is this, and this is something I practice what I preach. So I will tell you. When I, you know, what I do, I give my local shops a shot. Okay. I've done it. The last two guitars I bought, which were not locally, they were online. I did go to my local shops that carry those guitars and I gave them a shot. I walked in and, um, you know, and, and far be it. I understand, I, you know, I'm being on both sides of the fence at one time in my life, being the dealer and the, and the buyer, uh, 
you know, I understand that dealers will also order for you, but I can order online and have a, a good experience without having to involve a third party. And that's kind of what I feel like the, the, the independent and, um, believe it or not selling guitars. I really didn't enjoy ordering for customers too, because that same reason you, you, you're trying to make a customer happy with something they haven't touched yet. It gets really, gets really tough and you do your best. So the point I'm trying to make is definitely hit your local stores first. Give them the opportunity not only to to give you some good experience uh, with a purchase. If they do that, then they win your money. If they don't, they lose your money. It has nothing to do with uh, loyalty at that point. You can't, you know, you can't support somebody who doesn't care. Um, but also, if you find the guitar you love, that solves all your problems. Now, if you don't find it locally, then you got to go online and you know, make, make your decision. And we already know what's, what's going to happen. If you go with the lower model, you might regret not spending some more money to get what you want. And if you go with the expensive model and you like it, you might feel a little self-conscious. You could have saved some money. Uh, but I say vote your conscience. That's what I do. And it still makes me kind of crazy sometimes, but for the most part, I'm okay. All right, let's go to the next question. There's sorry guys, I'm reading a lot of questions. There's 690 of us. So that's a lot of a lot of people, a lot of questions. You know, uh Ross uh has a crazy question. It's a great easy question, but it's so hard, right? What should I get as a first pedal? I want you guys to do me a favor for a second and be me for a second when I get that question. I don't care if you've been playing guitar for 10 years, 20 years, 10 weeks, 10 days. It's a question that as soon as you meet somebody else in this environment with they're going to ask you that. Hey, what do you think is a good pedal to get into for your first pedal? And a lot of us suggest, I think, what we tried or what everybody suggests, you know, the, is, a, is a first pedal. Um, so I've heard a thousand ways you can answer that. Please, if you feel comfortable, put put your suggestion in the bottom. Um, Ross, what I, I tell everybody, I think I said this before on a show, so hopefully I'm keeping consistent. Um, look at the musicians you like, look at the music you like, and look at what they're using. And that's a good first step. You know, the vet, it's just like, it's just like being in a band first, you should do covers, then start doing your originals. Now there's not the only way to do that. There's many ways to do that, but you know, you learn to do how, you know, just like learning music, you learn to do how somebody else does it. And then you learn your own way. When you're doing pedals, find somebody you like the way their sound is and get one of the pedals they have. And the only thing I suggest is for your first pedal is try to buy it used once you, if you can. The other thing to do is sometimes uh, just go to your local mom and pop shop or your local music store, plug in some pedals and go. But the the first pedal, I would probably just go with a good overdrive pedal or distortion and then base that on the type of music you like and the player you like. See, Brian is saying, hey, delay is a good first step. See, boss to you, tuner. See, everybody's going to have a different uh, uh, suggestion and none of them are wrong. All I can tell you is it won't be your last pedal. <laughs> and see, here's a good one. Uh, Jay is saying, uh, uh, Jay, Jaden James 104 says, I would go with a multi-pedal. You know, I agree too. One of my favorite multi-stomp box pedals is the M5 by Line 6. You can pick it up for 100 bucks. has 100 different pedals in it, and they all sound pretty good. I have one, and it, it, I tell everybody, not only is it a good pedal to have if you're getting your first pedal and you want to try pedals, not model amps, not model speakers, not model amp sounds, because that's a different thing than a pedal. When somebody's asking for a pedal, that's a different thing to say. If somebody says, how do I get a lot of amps? I go, well, you can go with the multiprocessor but the m5 the other thing i love about it is sometimes late at night when you're watching something you go oh i need a i need a stereo flanger so you don't go on reverb.com and buy yourself a stereo flanger i pull it out i'll plug it in my my uh, pedal board i'll play it and after about 10 minutes i go well maybe i don't need a stereo flanger <laughs> maybe i got it a looper is a great pedal too so, suggestion is a great pedal for a all right next question we have oh ha uh hag up i'm gonna say hag hag up sure why not why are tube amps the best sounding amps and that's a question that's tricky because i don't know if you're you're asking like you know why do people say that or why do you you know you feel that way and you're looking, you know, for to see if, you know, what's the confirmation on that. I'm going to go off why people say that. Why do people say tube amps are the best amps? There's actually two reasons, okay? One has to do with the original 
main reason tube amps. Well, first of all, tube amps, let's start with this. You know, at some point in this musical world we were in, tube amps were the only amps. So let's, the first amps were tube amps, and there wasn't solid state. Uh, solid state really didn't kick in until Randall uh, started doing tube amps after he left uh, Fender. Um, and uh, Don Randall left Fender. Uh, he was the, he took over when Leo Fender, they were friends with Leo Fender. He took over for uh, uh, the company uh, shortly after CBS acquired it. And when he left, he had a non-compete. So he started solid state amps. He started making solid state base amps. So, um, so first of all, tube amps were first. There's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that even solid state, no matter how much they've improved it and what they've done with it, uh, it takes a lot of power to equate to what tubes do power tubes do. They, they give you this little cut through, they give you this, this, they're like, I like to equate the, the analogy to a diesel versus a regular engine. Diesel engines just love to be run hot and hard. You know what I mean? Uh, just let them go, you know, right? That's why they put them on big trucks. They just take abuse. And so tube amps do the same thing. They get the the hotter, the, the better, the louder, the better. They just, you know, but they have a higher fail rate on the tube, but the sound wise. Uh, so that's one way. But the main reason when people say now that tube amps are better, what they're talking about is... Um, you feel like, think about this, and this is the analogy I'm, I'm going to use, and I, I like it. When I bend a note on the guitar, subtly, just softly, when I'm bending the note, sometimes I don't want to feel like the note is jumping from one pitch to a middle pitch to an upper pitch. I want to feel, I want to hear all the little micro nuances of that pitch as it moves across. When you're playing a tube amp versus a solid state amp, that's kind of the same experience. You feel like when you're playing, you feel every little nuance of your playing because there's a physical thing. As electrons come off those tubes, uh, if you hit harder, more of them come off. If you hit play softer, less of them come off. It, it's a physical thing happening with tubes. Physically, they are uh, doing something. And you can kind of perceive that when you're playing. So tubes just have that kind of feeling, although digital is getting better and better and better. And some people are going to say you can't hear that and feel that. Some people are going to say uh, uh, you can. However, what I can tell you is in my, my experience of what I play, I, I really like tube amps. So um. Uh, it's a hard question, so I'm going to go for it. It's Price's question. Hey, Phil, do you know a way to brighten up a very dark amp and pickup? Um, yeah, that's a hard that's a hard question or hard answer. Here's why: because the logic would be, you know, with an EQ, you can brighten it up. But my experience is, if the amp has a very dark sound uh, and the pickup has a very dark sound, uh, the brights get really harsh, like glass, real fast uh, to to get more. So, to my experience, is you want to mess with the mid controls. Mid-range is how I make uh, dark sounding. To me, dark, and everybody uses these terms loosely, you know, it's hard because we're using a word dark, which is a visual thing to explain what we're hearing. To me, dark is, um, it's to me, it's scooped, right? That's my perception of it. Lots of highs, lots of lows, nothing in the middle. That's a dark sound. So I would bring the mids up, so... Um, and then the other thing is, if you're having a very dark sounding amp, always run your EQ flat at first, just to see where you, where you see where you land. Don't be afraid to just let the amp be the amp. Wednesday store says, how come bass players are less fussy about tube amps? Mostly because most bass players don't care about tube amps. If you're a bass player in tube amp world, you care about the SVT, the Ampeg sounds, the original growl, big 300 watt tube heads, SVTs, SVT uh, uh, two, SVT three, the three would just have preamp tubes, but you get the idea, SVT classic, um, some of the old Fender amps, uh, maybe some of the old custom amps, but, you know, big tube amps, most bass players have, uh, the majority of them moved over to Class D, which is a, a different technology. Uh, it's digital amplifiers. Uh, so they, but most reason that most bass players are not fussy about tube amps is because the thing that is driving, and this is the way I, uh, this is the way I, I would think of it if you're out there. One of the things I had, one of the ways I had explained to me, I thought was beautifully was distortion is a horrible sound. So it takes, it's a, it's magic how we take this thing that's really horrible and we make it sound like something we want to hear. So tube amps take a sound like distortion and they make it sound better, right? You know, they make it sound more pleasing because all of a sudden we want to hear it. Bass amps are not trying to create that same thing. They're trying to create a low frequency and a clear spectrum. And that's why basically, um, 
I keep saying basically. That's why uh, mo more modern amplifiers, more modern uh, EQ systems work for basses. That's why basses have an onboard active electronics. Um, a bass is about getting a, a perfect spectrum of sound, and a guitar is about getting a certain specific sound or tone. So bass players are less picky about a lot of things because they're most of them, majority rules, let's say 60%, uh, are trying to go for one sound, a clean, round bass tone. Okay. Uh, Bradula says, hey, are amps overpriced? The circuits of a classic tube amp are not that complex. You know, you're right, except for there's a couple factors hitting them at the same pro problem. Uh, there's two things happening to, to amps, and I'm not saying amps are validated in price. I'm not validating the price. I wouldn't know. Um, what I am going to say is this. Tubes are, are like probably 500 times more expensive than they were when this all started. You know, if you're old enough, kids, you probably remember your dad when the tubes went out in your TV or anything in your house, they would go to the local store and plug it in the tube tester and check the tube. Tubes used to be a thing that was in everything. Tubes were in the original computers uh, at NASA. Uh, so tubes were cheaper. Ch tubes are becoming more and more expensive. Uh, so, you know, that's just how that's going. And uh, because they're expensive, the amps have become expensive as well. Uh, it, it's just, it's part of the factor. The other thing is, is uh, that, that equates to the prices. Uh, amps, like almost everything, become commodities at some point. A Fender has, a, a makes an amp, but Fender stopped putting a price tag on what it costs to make that amp the second that they became the standard. Let me give you an example. The Princeton, the Baseman, the Twin, the Marshall JCM 800, the Plexi, uh, the JTM. Those amps are iconic uh, uh, amps that have history. And so those amps have a price point that is more than just what it costs to manufacture them. They have their commodity. They're, they're something we want. We want a Princeton. How can a company, so I, I like to flip the table sometimes because I'm not, like I said, I'm not defending that side of it. I'm just explaining it and then we'll we'll talk about, we'll, we'll be their side for a second. If a company, if 50 companies out there were using your name to describe what their product is, in other words, like it has a Princeton sound, wouldn't you want to put a premium on your Princeton product? Um, if everybody was saying it has a Marshall sound, wouldn't you want to put a premium on your product? When If people are making money off saying they sound like you, wouldn't you want to get top dollar? Um, I think that's a logical conclusion. Whether I agree with it or not is another thing, but uh, I understand it. Uh, BZA says, hey, Phil, have you owned any Saldano heads? No, I really want the Hot Rod 25. It's $2,500, and I bought the LBX. Yeah, I got that right for the first time ever when I pointed. And uh, and uh, that's got it out of my system. So five, six hundred bucks made me save twenty five hundred dollars. But no, the hot rod twenty, the hot rod twenty-five by uh um the twenty-five watt hot rod by Saldano, definitely. Uh and uh we've been talking about Jess 3333 so much lately, but I'm thinking about maybe getting one of those for the Saldano sound. But when I was when I was a kid. Uh, I said this before, so I don't want to bore anyone, but uh, I drove all the way from Tucson, Arizona to Hollywood with my friend without my parents' permission. <laughs> they didn't even know. Don't do that, kids. That's bad. Anyways, uh, so, you know, I was like probably, I wasn't 18, but I was obviously old enough to drive. So old enough to drive, but not 18. We decided we wanted to see a Saldano and we called around and the only places that carried them ever was the Guitar Center in, in, in California. So we drove all the way to California uh, we drove six and a half, seven hours to go look at a row of Saldanos that we walked in the store. This is back in the days. This is, it'll tell you how the world's changed. When we walked in, we saw them. There was a snakeskin one, a purple one, some black ones, all on our stacks in the Guitar Center. And they said, you can't, you can't play them unless you're interested in buying one. That's back when Guitar Center used to be like everybody else too, uh, before they came up with the, hey, you know, let your baby, uh, change your baby on top of the amp. We don't even care what you do. You can do whatever you want. The product here in the store. Um, so, but we look pouty faced, uh, I guess. Cause I, I mean, I felt deflated, whatever happened to us emotionally, the guy, the sales guy saw it and said, okay, just keep it down and go plug it in. Now here's the funny part of the story, not knowing anything about amps and tubes and anything plugging in. We were looking at ourselves, my, my buddy Pat, and we were like, this is the worst sounding amp ever. It sounds like a fuzzy radio. And, the reason why was because we had it turned down, but we didn't know that. 
So for years, we would just talk smack about Saldano to our friends. Be like, oh, yeah, Queensryche, Saldano. Like, ah, Saldano sounds worse than a crate. My crate sounds better than Saldano. We had no idea. It was it's years later of messing with amps, realizing that if they would have just let them correct, let us cranked it just one notch higher, we would have probably heard the magic. But so no magic. So that's my long Saldano story to basically tell you I don't own a Saldano. <laughs> they're expensive. They're great, but they're expensive. Okay. All right. Phil, did you reveal the guitar you bought around Christmas? I did not. That was from Scott. Um, it's in shot right now. It's right here. Let's do that. Let's see if that works. That doesn't work. I thought if I looked at it. I bought a... I bought a uh, RG470 Japanese guitar in copper. Obviously, you guys know I like the color copper. And uh, I bought it off Reverb. And it was a good price. It was $350 plus shipping, 50 bucks shipping. I offered $350 shipped, and they took it. It was one of those purchases that I made that I said, hey, you know what? It was a loose description. The loose description was a couple dings, little couple marks here and there, in good condition, no tremolo arm. Cool. The guitar looks like a dog chewed it up. <laughs> it is a chewed up guitar. I'm okay with that. The price was good. Uh, but it is, let's just say, I, uh, you know, uh, I was thinking about doing a video about that, about the descriptions, but really, come on, man. I, I Yeah, he didn't describe anything, but I didn't probe and I should have known better. I just figured for the price, you know, I couldn't go wrong. I, so, you know, I can't go wrong because I, I, at the very least, I have a Japanese neck. Um, and the pickups are aftermarket pickups and they're good. So that's that's it. It plays fine. It sounds great. Um, it's really chipped and chewed up. I mean, really bad. And ironically, as you can imagine, when you go back on Reverb, not on Reverb, the company, but when you go back to your Reverb auction to look, his pictures were kind of grainy and angled far and hard to see the dents. <laughs> but they're, like I said, it's buckle rashed. It's, 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 some people would use the sales term player's condition. I'm going to say uh, a well abused. Yeah, somebody says relict. That guitar, I'm now, whatever. You see it, the copper one behind me. That guitar is relict <laughs> for sure. So, um, and you know, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I buy guitars like that or if I buy things like that online and I know it's my fault, I, I'm not going to go back on the guy. You know, I'm not going to be like, hey man, you could have described this better. Let's be honest. His price was fair. Uh, I wouldn't have bought it if I knew it was this chewed up. However, the price uh, was really good, so I bought it. The price was good because the price was right. It's for 350 bucks. That's what a Japanese Ibanez with some dings uh, goes for. But my point is, uh, I, I usually look at this as an opportunity to do something cool and exciting. So I'm going to try and uh, try and you know maybe have it painted or get a new body for it or maybe I don't know, leave it alone. Finish the relic process. So. There you go. Pre-loved. That's a good one. <laughs> they, yeah, they, I like that. Pre-loved. There's 823 of us hanging out. You guys are awesome. All right. Uh, Travis said, first time catching the live show. Cheers. Cheers, Travis. Okay. Um, Brian Stewart says, Phil, ever mess around with the PV Classic 20 uh, tube amps? Uh, if so, impressions. Thanks. Yeah, I did. I had one and I made a huge mistake and that's what you do. I bought the, I bought them both, the Classic 20 and the PV 6505 mini heads. And uh, the very long story, but the short, very short answer is uh, I sold the Classic 20 and kept the 6505. I have a 6505 mini downstairs. I like that amp. Don't love it. I like it. I really think I should have kept the Classic 20. The problem is, is I did the thing that, that happens when you do that. I bought the Classic 20. I think I paid $450 for it, which is a good price. They're about $500 new. And I sold it for like $350. So I lost $100. It happens to buy another one. You know what I mean? So um, I I don't know. I, I, I've actually I checked the Craigslist a couple times. There was one for sale. I was thinking maybe somebody would want to trade a 6505 mini head for it or something. But I really like it. I, I think it's uh, 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 both those amps are good, but the, the Classic 20 uh, is a really good amp. All right. Uh, 
Next question. There's a question about trans tube technology with PV. Unfortunately, I can't tell you much about it. I don't know much about that stuff. Uh, my problem is, uh, you know, as you get <laughs> as you get older, time goes by, you st and you're really into stuff. Like I'm really into this stuff. You start noticing that there's every two years there's a new technology involving tubes. Um, whether it be the Digitech guys, uh, whether it be Vox, whether it be PV, and the technologies always go to either using some kind of preamp tube or coming up with a technology that sounds like preamp tubes. And, um, uh, and, and not any particular bad or good things about it, but um, just, yes. So there's always a new technology. So you get a little, I don't want to say jaded, but you get, you know, you get a little like the, you know, old, old hat, you know, it gets hard to get excited about it. Uh, Mark, uh, is saying, Hey, new Marshall amp, January 25th, new flagship. Uh, you know, all I heard was that they were discontinuing a bunch of amps. We'll see, you know, I, I mean, I can't imagine they're going to continue to this realist release new Bluetooth amps. At some point, I think the, one of the fathers of all amplifiers, uh, should release a new amplifier. We'll see what they do. I, I can't imagine, um, them not doing it. Um, I'm trying not to jinx it. I've been really wanting Marshall to come out with something for years that that the consumer wants. I, I really, you know, you can see I have a Marshall cabinet. I have Marshall stuff. I have a little Marshall head. I'm always, I have a Marshall sign. I have Marshall t-shirts. Um, last year I bought a Marshall t-shirt. <laughs> I just bought a Marshall t-shirt. I went into Guitar Center, saw one, and bought one. It's just something about it. It's ingrained. It's a marketing that's just never going to go away. You know what I mean? Um uh, a Marshall has just always been to me a status symbol of either rock and roll or if you've arrived, you have the right rig, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm hoping, but the good news is if Marshall doesn't ever figure it out, there's a ton of other companies that are on top of it. Plus on top of that, uh, old Marshalls are um, ever play the Jubilee mini. No, James, I have not. And I have had every opportunity, I think, so, you know, I've been to two NAMM shows where they didn't have it plugged in for you to check out, including the summer NAMM show. I went to GitCon and they didn't bring one. I went to every single Marshall dealer I could find. If I went anywhere, Reno or California or Tennessee or Arizona or where else, I was somewhere else like Texas or something. Anyways, everywhere I go, I look up, I look up the dealers for Marshall and I call them. Hey, you got a Jubilee Mini? Nobody. I want to hear one intimately. I almost bought one online, but here's what happened with me. When I went to Musician's Friend, I decided to buy it from Musician's Friend, or maybe it was Sweetwater. Can't remember. When I went online to buy it, I did something, you know, maybe smart or dumb, depending on how you look at it. I started reading the reviews. The reviews are horrible. <laughs> they're like, they're like, uh, there was probably 25, 30% reviews saying, uh, I sent it back. So I kind of lost a little bit of that. But the ones that like it love it. So it makes me want to try it. So, but I was, I was almost there. I was almost there. It's just, I can't, I can't buy, buy it side unseen. Um, okay. So, uh, free, uh, free fly. Don says has one. It's great. See, I, there's a ton of people have them. I love them. So. Uh, D snap says, Hey, any idea why Fender never came out with a hot rod deluxe head? Love the show. Yeah. Um, Oh, what's his name? Why do I have so much trouble remembering his name? Doesn't matter. He's the head of AMP Silver at Fender. Anyways, man. Uh, so I have a funny story. So, uh, so uh, about about Fender and heads. Um, so I'm a real big. Uh, I like heads uh, amplifiers, and so I would. And Fender, if you guys don't know, their headquarters is not far from me. So one day, I when the Super Champ X. Uh, X2 came out. The Super Champ X2 combo came out. There was an X2 combo, Super Champ, and there was a, a Vi Vibro Champ. There's two of them. And um, anyways, I took my Super Champ and I had a friend build me a head box and I racked the, the amp into a head. Shane Nicholson, that's his name. It's either Nichols or Nicholson. Shane Nicholson is the head of amps over at Fender. Anyways, he saw that and he says, what's that? And I said, well, I'd convert it to a head. And he says, why do you do that? And I said, well, because I like to plug into a bigger cabinet. And he said, uh, well, you know, you can put the combo. And I said, yeah, but it's like buying a new TV and putting it on the old broken TV, right? Why would you put a combo on a cabinet? You want it to look a certain way, don't you? I mean, I wanted it to look like a head and cabinet, like it's polished. 
And um, he said that was an interesting idea. And I said, you should make more heads. And he said, well, we're not known for heads. And I said, well, really, you kind of are because the basements came in heads and Marshalls are copied off you and their heads. So there you go. And um, so long story short, the following year they came out, they, they came out with the, the Super Champ XD, which had a head version. And they sent me a, he, well, he sent, he gave me a shirt. I don't know if he sent it or brought it into me, but he gave me a shirt to say thank you, uh, which I thought was cool. You know, hey, thanks for, he's like, thanks for the idea. Here's a shirt. And um, then I, he, he said, let's make other heads. And what he did was they made a couple of their heads and they flopped. And that was like the 65 Deluxe Reverb head and a couple others that didn't so well. And I kept telling him, just like you, really, just make the Blues Junior and the Hot Rod Deluxe. And they didn't. And now they make the Bass Breakers instead as heads. So I don't know why they don't make the Hot Rod Deluxe head. There's a guy online, though, he'll convert your Hot Rod Deluxe into head. He has to drill some new holes and move the tubes. Uh, the tubes are downward firing he's got to move them backwards so you can make the head line up but that was a long probably boring story to just tell you that hot rod deluxe should be ahead i agree the, uh you know what i've heard it a thousand times so you know as a dealer as a person uh, anything as they made a hot rod deluxe as a head i'd probably use it as my two platform by the way there's 887 of us that's almost 900 people it's awesome okay uh, next oops let's jump in around a little bit All right. Yeah, see, somebody's saying a Blues DeVille head as well. Yeah, same thing. Blues DeVille and the Hot Rod Deluxe are very, very, well, I should say the Blues Deluxe and the Hot Rod Deluxe or the Blues DeVille and Hot Rod DeVille. Very similar platforms and amps. There's only, a, there's only two or three things that make them different. Let's see. Yeah, great, great ten, great. The great Vanzini said, "Talk to Fender about a champ head." They said, "No plans four months later head." Yeah, so you know, the day I talked to Shane, he was really like in shock what I was doing. But when I, I could tell you when he looked at my head because I had it done. It wasn't an idea. I was like, I was using it. He was like, "This is." I think that's what got him inspired to do it. Actually, that's what he said. I'm going to tell you what he said. He said that inspired him to do it. All right. Uh, next, next question. Oh, uh, oh, please says Phil. Do you still love the Black Star HT one? I do. So, uh, I've decided for me personally, the Black Star stuff is really cool uh, amps, but you know, just nothing really stuck. You know, but that amp, that that that's my little favorite little one watt amp out there. It's a cool little amp. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> okay, I got to tell you because it's funny. Chris says, why would you make a head of famous combos, LOL? Yeah, r right. Uh, isn't that funny, right? You're like, it seems like a, such an easy thing to do. So, and, and he sent you a t-shirt saying, buy Fender. You know, what's funny is he sent me a t-shirt, but it wasn't a Super Champ t-shirt. It was a, a Super Supersonic t-shirt. Uh, like a dick, but it was a, I want to say t-shirt. I should say it wasn't t-shirt. It was like a dicky shirt. One of the ones you can't buy. So, uh, uh, over the years, uh, the Fender guys have given me a lot of those shirts when I've interacted with them in this kind of way, like giving them my thoughts and feedback on stuff. They would ask my, they were nice enough to ask me, you know, drive me up there, feed me lunch, ask me a couple questions. And, uh, they always give me really cool dicky shirts that you can't buy. So that's why if you ever see, sometimes you guys see me in them. And everybody goes, oh, that's cool where you get it. And you're like, I, I don't know. They they made they made a run for their employees and then just gave me one. Um, hey, Phil, love the Sharpen My Axe video, number three. I have a Bigsby and I will use some, if not all of those mods. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's, thanks, Brent. That's cool. Uh, one of the questions on that video, which is a good place maybe to address it, was why didn't I use a roller bridge? I would have totally used a roller bridge. It's a fine bridge. What I will tell you is this. I have installed many times a roller bridge. When I uh, suggested that uh, is what I was going to do, uh, the guys at GraphTech said, hey, we have a bridge with these GraphTech saddles. Now, this is something that I have also installed in many guitars. And so uh, it was simple. It was simple. Uh, it was simple arithmetic. <laughs> they were going to give it to me to install the guitar, and I was going to have to buy the roller bridge for the for, for the for the, the, the Gretsch. So the free bridge seemed like a better deal than having to buy a bridge. Now, I will I will tell you honestly, though, I wouldn't have done it 
if it wasn't as good. And I thought it was really as good. But uh, realistically, the roller bridge was a, a good choice. Um, for no particular reason other than just not seeing it when I was editing, I it was probably a good idea to put a little a little moniker there or something saying, hey, a roller bridge would also be a great idea too. Um, so there you go. But yeah, I've installed a lot of the roller bridges too. I But I was really impressed with the graph tech thing. Plus, I was curious. I'll tell you right now too. They had me super curious. I think one time in that video, I said the graph tech package because it was like, obviously it was all graph tech stuff I was using on that one video. One thing I will tell you, I won't tell you because I don't want to kill the excitement of those videos, but one thing you'll notice with the videos, if you haven't noticed already, I'm trying to do themes with them. So in other words, uh, that was kind of a really graph techy theme. And then, you know, one, one's going to focus more on pickups and one's going to more focus on, you know, uh, fret work and ones. So each time I do something, I'm hoping to frame it in a way that you can see that we're focusing on one thing. This, this one, I really want to focus on the stability of tuning since that was an issue with the guitar. Uh, so think of it this way. I want to take the most exaggerated issue with the guitar and make that the focus of, Hey, let's, let's eliminate that problem. So, uh, so there you, there you go. I, I think it's more entertaining to do that. That's one, one of the beautiful things when you, when I get to make those videos, raw footage wise, it's always about four hours of footage that I get to edit down to that 20 something minutes, uh, which takes, you know, it takes a long time to do. Uh, in fact, it's the biggest editing projects I've ever done ever. Uh, so uh, I'm going to be a much better YouTuber because of these videos, because it is really uh, is really helping me. And I'm hoping within the next one uh, that comes out uh, that you'll see, you'll see some cool changes with uh, maybe multi-camera angles now and stuff. So there you go. Because I know that's another thing too. I feel kind of guilty that I'm not giving you guys the best camera angles. Um, oh, Jason says, hey, it's Jason. He's the, this is his Gretsch. Says, hey, Phil, that was my Gretsch that you worked on. And I just want to say thank you again for that. Looking forward to getting it back. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see what you think. So far, uh, so far, so good. Uh, so far, um, uh, Gregor, and, Gregor and, oh man, I feel bad if I see. The, I, the other one, the one that had the Epiphone, the problem is the email is Alice. And I think that's his girlfriend. I think his name's Michael. Anyways, he got it back. Same thing. He liked it. I'm sorry if I got your name wrong. It got confusing because I was getting, you know, it's every time you sign off, it was a name, but the email was a different name. But anyways, uh, so far, so good. They, everybody seems to like the guitars they got. Plus, uh, something special for you guys. I guess I'll make a, that announcement right now. So, uh, so many people have asked about this Sharpen My Axe thing and, uh, you know, can continue doing it. And uh, financially, it's just there's no way, even if I did one a month, it would be pretty taxing because it's a, it could get costly fast because I don't know what I'm going to walk into. So, Long story short, a lot of people said, hey, I'd be interested in being part of that and I'll pay for it. And uh, so I was like, oh, I'm considering it. Uh, you have my attention. But if I mentioned this once before, uh, now it's kind of more official. Um, somebody else that's a couple YouTubers, actually two YouTubers said, um, which bigger channels than mine, we'd like to send you our guitars and do it. And that way we can actually do, and they're going to, you know, pay for it and stuff. They're not, it's not a contest uh, and trick out our guitars. And then we can do videos afterwards telling everybody what they perceive they got back. And I thought that would be kind of cool. Cause that way you'll actually be able to test the, you know, do, do, do the thing I do actually make the person happy that gets the guitar. So something to look forward to. Um, William saying he loved the sharpen my axe uh, contest you did. Uh, yeah, thank you. You know what? It's 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 been a lot of work, but fun. Okay. Uh, that's a question. Sometimes you guys have questions about repairs that get a little too tricky to 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 talk just verbally talk without showing. So I'm trying not to. I don't want to frustrate anybody with an answer. I can't, that won't help them. Oh, here's a crazy one. Be more six says, Hey Phil, do you like solid state marshals from the eighties? Um, yeah, generally. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I can't say I love them. Uh, what, what I do, what I will say this, actually, <laughs> this is a good point. Um, what I find is sometimes you guys have reference of hating some of those old amps because they weren't, they weren't tube. They weren't good. And now you go back and listen to them. And some of them are even worse than you remember. And some of them are a little better. I think a lot of the solid state marshals when you know, I've listened to them uh, in the last like five years were better than I remembered them 20 years ago. So there, so to answer your question, I like them better than I used to. Um, 
uh, and there's 904 of us. We broke the first time ever on the channel, broke 900 people watching live. You guys are awesome. And Nathan Dillard just said, any tips on aging pickup covers? Um, uh, and he super chatted that. Uh, in other words, how to do aging uh, pickup covers? Yeah, you can't do them if they're chrome, man. You're going to have to desolder the chromes off and put nickel. The trick with making good aged covers look good, uh, you got to get nickel ones. And so you, uh, if you have whatever pickups you have, you have to figure out the spacing, whether they're the 53 millimeter, or I'm doing off memory, 50 something millimeter. Either way, they're tri trim spaced or regular spaced. You need to figure that out and then get the nickel covers and put them on there. And that's the trick. And then once they're nickel, you can do anything to them. You can rust them. You can, uh, you can settling torch the suckers. Uh, I, I have a thing where I did one where, uh, uh, the nickel is usually, uh, the nickel is plated over like this cheap, uh, other material like brass or gold like looking materials probably brass who knows but what's great is i did one recently where i spray painted it flat black and then i sanded it i'll have to show it to you guys and it, so it looks like crazy coppery just a nightmare of cool metallurgy uh yeah so you can do everything but chrome i've had almost no luck with doing anything to the chrome ones man the chrome is just and and getting stuff to eat the chrome off is really inconsistent and a mess it's just it's way faster time to just Take the two solder points on the bottom, solder those off. You're gonna, they're gonna be almost like tack welded on. In the idea that it's a little hotter than regular solder, so you gotta have to have a really good hot soldering gun, uh, and, uh, and and you gotta be careful so you don't melt all the wax out of there because that will happen too. But anyway, it's not the end of the world. You just take the cover off and put a new cover on. Um, but definitely order a nickel cover. That is gonna be the most important thing. All right. How are we doing on time? We're doing okay on time. We got a couple time for a couple more questions. Uh, Seth uh, just asked about the Fern Fernandez sustainer versus Sustainiac. Uh, so I don't have enough experience to tell you, like I could say which one's better. My only impressions of messing with both over the years is I couldn't tell the difference. I don't know. I don't even know if they're physically made different. They just seem to achieve the same thing. I will tell you this. One of the guitars on my radar for 2018 is the new uh, Charvel California series. I guess that's no Charvel. It's like their copy of a, uh, you can check it out on their website. They got a copy of a Charvel, but it's got a Sustainiac in it. So I'm curious about that. My guess also is obviously Fernandez probably makes both. I'm not sure. And maybe Sustainiac is the non-Fernandez stuff. And I'm not sure, you know, but uh, but in my experiences, I've definitely can tell you this. I've played both and I could never tell a difference, but I just, you know. Um, and what else do we got? Mike says, hey, Phil, are you planning on keeping your 594? Uh, that's my PRS 594. That's a great question. And the answer is yes. And here's why. Um, and, and this comes up a lot. This comes up with the pedals. Uh, I should cover it in the guitars too. This is probably something to remember or understand. I collect guitars just like I collect pedals and I collect, I don't want to say collect amps. I just don't, but I collect pedals. And I collect guitars. And why I say that is I use pedals and guitars. So I have some pedals that I use and I have some guitars I use. Um, but I have some guitars to collect that gem right there. The yellow gem, that's a collector's piece. I own that. It's a 89, something like that. Gem 91, whatever. It's an old Ibanez gem. It's worth money. How about that? And, uh, it's uh, worth more than I paid for it. How about that? It's even better. And the 594 is just if I if I was going to bet on a PRS guitar holding value for some reason he he hit the nerve uh, in the in the guitar player vein out there with the 594. He put a mystique on it, if you will. It's a very cool guitar, and whether I play it or not is relevant. It's just a guitar I, I just want to have, uh, and it has uh, just like my Framus that I got when I was in Germany. Another cool thing too is over time you want to have guitars that have a personal you know experience with you you know and and that framus was because i went to germany it was a get con i met hans peter they were nice i got a guitar it's a story it's a cool guitar i picture myself you know one day really old <laughs> telling my great can my great can grandkids ah, i got this guitar in germany you know right i don't know maybe you, you picture that but who knows uh and the 594 i ordered that from paul reed smith i don't know if you know you can know that or not guys but that 594 um i when i was interviewing paul i said you know i, I said yeah i'm ordering one right now you know i mean i just had told bert so it's kind of a cool story i can you know but definitely a cool guitar um 
Lyrical One says, uh, super chatted, what kind of pickups would you recommend for a PJ bass? Uh, now, I'm going to give you my personal preference and then I'll suggestion. My personal preference is Bartolini. That's what I use and I love. And the main reason is, is that Bartolini's uh, sound great. They're passive. You put them in. You can just drop them in your P. Uh, if you have a PJ bass with no active electronics, you're good to go. If you have an active circuit in there, they will drop in there and they will work just as easy good to go just make them slightly better and if you want to add the bartolini preamp either now or later that is fine for you now if you go emg you got to go all emg so that's why and i like emg but me bartolini's are the thing now if you're not going to go bartolini's i think this i think seymour duncan quarter pounders are a good way to go i've had a good experience with both those but i am a bartolini fan the other thing i like about the bartolini's is if you slap bass like i do there's no metal pull pieces for the strings to slap against and make that really annoying click sound. So uh, if that's not a problem for you, I wouldn't worry about it, but it is a problem for me. And Damrak, Damrak1969 says, what are your interests besides guitar? Nothing. Uh, I was just listened to my wife explain that to a friend the other day about the fact that I have no other interest. In fact, it sounded almost like a compliment. And then after a while, I started feeling like maybe she was saying I need to get other hobbies. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, nothing. I collect musical gear. I talk about musical gear. If the guys on the Patreon will attest to it, I went eight hours straight uh, talking about musical gear uh, on, a, <laughs> on Monday. And that's not an exaggeration. We started at two and went to 10 o'clock at night. And I only stopped for... I only stopped for maybe about three minutes to go and turn off the uh, AC in my house. And I'm not joking. It was AC. I live in Arizona. And even this time of year, it was a little warm. Uh, oh, you know what? There's a great question. And then we'll take this one and one more. And then we'll call it. And it was about my Gibson Classic. It said. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I hate it when I see it. And then I didn't tag it fast enough. Uh, well, we missed it, but I think it was a question about my Les Paul classic. So that's why I was trying to try to get to that. So we'll do one more. And if I come across it again, <laughs> somebody's saying their wife says the same thing about their hobby. Um, oh, you know, Eric, a good, good, good question. Eric says thoughts on phenolic fretboards, uh, rich light, rock light, etc. cetera. Uh, if you guys don't know what that is, phenolic resin uh, fretboards have been around forever. Sometimes they're called uh, phenolic because that's what they are. Sometimes they're called uh, ebonial. I'm not making that up. Ebonial or ebonial like ebony. Uh, obviously rich light is a brand and they're used heavily uh, rock light. Um, do I like the idea? I do. I do like the idea. I've had a great experience with it. I really like it uh, for fretless bases. I've had good luck with it. Um, what I will tell you though, is what I've learned in my experience with phenolic fretboards is there are different quality levels and that's the trick. Some of the ones that Ibanez has used, uh, which is really court guitars because they're Indonesian, uh, that make them for Ibanez, uh, at the lower price ranges, I've had them where they had little, they sink, like the material sinks in and you get little dead spots in it. And I've had that trouble with it. Um, and if they put a high sheen to it, I've had trouble uh, sanding it and trying to get it back to a high sheen. Uh, so it's a hard thing for me to fix. Uh, if anyone's ever, uh, it's almost like they rubbed epoxy on it and hardened it and then and sanded that. I, I, I messed with it a little bit. The problem was uh, when the issue I was having with the customer's guitar was the guitar was kind of DOA. So they let me kind of mess with it. I'd never had a chance to really dive into it. And as you can imagine, you don't come across it very much. And the second issue is the guitars are very inexpensive. So people don't want to really pay you a whole lot to fix them. And I really don't want to spend five hours on a guitar. You know what I mean? For a, you know, a $60 labor fee. So, uh, I, so it was hard to mess with, but, uh, overall I like the idea. I like what they've done. I like how Taylor's used it. I like how Martin's used it. Um, do I think it's the future? I know it's the future. Let's just, that, that's, that's, that's not a question. Um, it has nothing to do with whether or not wood will be around or not. Eventually, uh, the 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 reason what I heard this once said I thought it was interesting. So the reason we don't have flying cars now is because not because they're not the, it's not possible. It's just not economical. In other words, uh, you know, uh, the Jetsons said in this time we would have robot maids and flying cars. But the truth is that it's just not cost feasible. I think wood will eventually become that problem with guitars. It won't be cost feasible. Eventually, we're drunk now on the fact that we can buy guitars at any price point. If you have 
right now in your pocket, $50 and on up to $10,000 and everywhere in between. You can buy a guitar, of course, any guitar. Somewhere there's a guitar, <laughs> right? Somewhere. Uh, and for that to continue at some point, I think uh, you're going to see a lot of more man-made materials have to come into play. And they've tried them in the past and we've always pushed back. But again, it's a it's because we don't prefer them. Uh, but cost feasible if they make it to where it's the only way it works, it, we won't have a choice. Okay. Um, oh, okay, Scott. And then we'll do the last two questions. So this is Scott's man says, uh, but it's Scott's man, not Scotsman. So Scott's man says, have several dead frets on an acoustic electric. Uh, can you give me an idea on a reasonable repair cost? Yeah, um, the dead frets, uh, the trick is they either need to be crown leveled or and a lot of times in acoustics, you might have, uh, they need to be tapped back in. They get loose and they come, they lift up and they need to be, there's a syringe that I use and I actually inject super glue in there and then I press them back in. I have a fret press that works really, really well. Um, a lot of times, almost all acoustics, where I live in Arizona, if you own acoustic, pretty much any acoustic that's, that's, I mean, say eight out of 10 acoustics, you, we, you get what's called 12 fret hump, uh, or as little, the frets kind of go dead around the 12 fret. Um, so yes, the reasonable price to is a crown level. I think a reasonable price for a crown level is 90 bucks. You know, that's what I think a reasonable price is. But what I can tell you is a crown level and so is, is crown levels just like setups are demographical. Is that a word? If not, it is now. It's where you are. So, uh, so some places may charge uh, sixty-five dollars for a setup. Some charges forty. Some charges seventy-five. It really has where where you are in the country. Where I live, minimum wage is ten and a half, a uh, ten ten fifty an hour. That's minimum wage. So, you know, uh, it, I mean, that affects costs, your minimum wage levels and stuff. You know, so there you go. But I would say ninety bucks is normal. It's normal. That's the normal price here. Oh, he said, okay, he's in New York. Okay, cool. Um, and then, you know what, Scotsman, what I always suggest too is you, how much is the guitar? If the, you know, sometimes the best things can happen to you is have a guitar that's not worth the repair because that means sweat equity time, man. Learn to do it yourself. Uh, to me, a crown level is, is something everyone should do once. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I think you should learn to do some repairs, especially now that there's so many junky guitars out there to, to learn on. What a great way to understand either how easy or hard something is. You know what I mean? Um, I used to say this. I'm going to leave you on this note uh, before we go today. I used to tell parents when they would s come in for lessons with their their children and they'd say, yeah, but, you know, what if he doesn't stick with it? And I said, you know what? There's no downside to this. I said, if they take up a musical instrument and they don't stick with it, they'll learn how hard it is and they'll respect the people that does it. You know, and so my analogy was, you know, we respect Michael Jordan, not because he plays basketball, because when he jumps that high, we know you can't do that because I've tried to jump and I can't get that high. And right. So you, you when you see something, how hard something is and when somebody achieves it, it gives you a greater understanding of what they achieved. A lot of times things become like magic tricks and the idea that it looks like it was just so easy and it's not. So repairs, sometimes it is easy and they're overcharging you. Sometimes it's really hard and it's worth it. You know, no joke. There are some repairs that I can do myself. And then sometimes I go, maybe I should just pay somebody to do this because it's not, it's not hard. It's just boring and long. So, all right. That all being said, that was the, uh, that was our episode today. Uh, we hit 900. That's great. That's, that's like, I'm excited about that. Thank you guys so much for that. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out with me today. Um, and, uh, and I'm um, just seeing if there's anything else going on. That looks about it. Like I said, we'll be talking soon. A couple more of these before we go to the NAM show. I might even throw one extra one in, one before the NAM show just to get your guys' uh, you know, thoughts on on NAM and what we should be looking at. And uh, maybe something to see what's exciting. As the NAM news comes out, I've been getting the NAM news uh, slowly. And of course, all you get is I get it. And then they tell me not to share it, which is the worst. But anyways, that being said, thank you guys so much today. And as always, uh, thank you guys for your time until next week and then know your gear.